Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. Our passage of scripture this morning is going to be Ruth uh, chapter 3. And when I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came and softly, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I, uh, I don't want you to be too impressed, uh, but one of the things that I do constantly, uh, almost uh, uncontrollably, is say the word all right before I actually come up here and deliver my sermon. I have like Matthew McConaughey syndrome, I think. And this morning I didn't do it. So. Uh, <laughs> Not that I want an applause, but uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. But it is so good to see you all this morning. Welcome uh, to uh, Redeemer Church. My name is Michael Badger. I'm one of the elders, one of the pastors uh, here, and I'm so thankful that you are here with us this morning as we uh, enjoy fellowship with with one another, uh, with our fellow believers in Christ Jesus, uh, and uh, as we get the privilege of digging into His Word. And as you see uh, from uh, the reading this morning, we're continuing to walk through 
the story of Ruth, which among other things is a story of, of Ruth and Naomi, these two widows in search of redemption. That's, that's one of the things this book is about. And we see these two poor and widowed women uh, make their way back in chapter 1 from the country of Moab back to the homeland of Naomi. Uh, and despite the, the various blessings that God kind of shows to Naomi along the way, despite all the hardships that she's had in her life, uh, God is, is, is trying to radiate his, his goodness into Naomi's heart, but her heart has become embittered. And she begins to have this, this warped view of the very character of God. We really see that in chapter 1. But by the end of chapter 2, we begin to see things kind of take a turn for both Ruth and Naomi. Namely, the blessing of God through the man named Boaz, which is, was a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And a, and a glimmer of, of hope, this little, little spark of hope, begins to kind of grow in Naomi's heart. And it is with this kind of re renewed sense of hopefulness that we start into chapter 3. This, this hard heart that Naomi once had begins to kind of get, get chipped away. And she, and she has started to become a, a, almost a, a completely different woman than who she was before. But before we go any further with that, let us pray for our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, what a gift and a privilege it is to be here together this morning. Uh, Lord, there are so many places around the world who, who don't get to do what we're doing right now in, in safety. And so, Lord, I pray that you allow us to really just soak in this time together and with you. Uh, Lord, I pray, as uh, Ethan prayed earlier, uh, that, uh, God, that you help remove any uh, sinful thoughts, Lord, Lord just anything that, that is trying to take our mind and take our attention away from you this morning. I pray that you, you protect us from that. And Lord, more than anything, God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that, that you are leading us this morning. God, that we put our preconceived notions about, about uh, you, about your word, about uh, this, this, uh, this chapter in the book of Ruth aside and just allow you to illuminate it to our minds and to our hearts. And Lord, we love you. And I pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so as I said, in Ruth chapter 2, uh, we are beginning to see the goodness, or we were rather, beginning to see the goodness of God start breaking into Naomi's bitter heart. And we begin to see that there is a, a fundamental shift in the thinking and the action of Naomi as we enter into these first few verses of chapter 3. And what I believe we see happening in Naomi here in chapter 3, the very first verses of chapter 3, is really no less than, than what we read of in Romans chapter 12, right? In Romans chapter 12, that the mind of Naomi is, is being renewed, is being renewed, and she is coming back into this hope-filled way of perceiving the world around her. And don't, don't get me wrong, I mean, she, her circumstances haven't changed, Right? Her circumstances haven't changed all that much. She is still in dire circumstances. And we even see in chapter 4 that Naomi is almost to the point of having to sell her property in order to just survive. Now, in chapter 1, or the chapter 1 Naomi, and two-thirds of chapter 2 Naomi, 
would have seen that as a reason to continue thinking that the hand of the Lord has, has gone against her, has, has really just been oppressing her, her having to, to possibly sell her, her plot of land that she has left over from her deceased husband. She, she could see that as the Lord just striking out at her just one more time, just one more thing God is doing to, to make her life miserable. But since Naomi is beginning to be graciously reminded that she is not to interpret the character of God in light of her temporary circumstances, but rather she is to interpret her circumstances in the light of the good character of God, she holds on to hope in God. And then she begins to devise a plan. She begins to devise a plan. So I want you to take a look with me at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. Of Ruth chapter 3. It says, Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now when you're reading that, there are some more critical and cynical scholars who interpret this as Naomi attempting to manipulate Ruth. Trying to just manipulate Ruth, even putting her in harm's way in order to kind of use her in this this Machiavellian type of way. And in a way that's simply using Ruth for her own selfish ends. But a closer look at the text, a look uh, look at the text that keeps the whole context of the book of Ruth within view. And we'll find that this is not the motivation of Naomi in the slightest. Not, Not at all. Because of this Romans 12 type of renewal of Naomi's mind that is founded on being enlightened again to the good and loving character of God, Naomi's thoughts have have moved away from what they were previously. They've moved away from this this self-absorption to this love for the other, this, this love for Ruth. And where the bitter heart of Naomi once led her to inaction in chapter 2. Remember in chapter 2 where where she simply kind of just resigned herself to not doing anything and being fine with Ruth just kind of going off into the field by herself even though Naomi really probably could have gone with her. There's no reason not to. But where her once bitter heart led her to inaction, she is now filled with this new hope in the Lord. And she takes action. She takes initiative in devising this plan to ensure that at the very least, Ruth is able to find rest. She's focusing on Ruth. She's not not worried about herself. She wants her daughter-in-law to find rest. Now, the rest Naomi is referring to in verse 1 is the safety and security that comes with marriage during this time. It is a rest from the destitute state of being that Ruth currently found herself in. It is rest from, from worry. It's rest from anxiety of not knowing what the next day may bring. And this is, this is the desire that Naomi now has for Ruth. And so she comes up with this, with this plan, not because she's attempting to manipulate Ruth for her own gain, but out of love for Ruth and with trust in God to bring about a good end. 
And this is, I think this is really important for us to see here. Because it is, it is trust in God, friends, that allows us to be active agents in the world operating under God's sovereignty. Do you understand that? It's trust in God that allows us to be, to be uh, these active agents in the world, not, not these passive spectators who, who are brought to immobility due to, due to fear or a lack of trust in God. When you lack a trust in God, it, friends, it's, it's hard to move at all. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I've experienced that so many times. It's hard to make any decision because you think that the rest of your life lives or dies on the back of whatever big decision is before you. And if you make the, if you make the wrong decision, then, then oh boy, you, you blew it. You blew it. But trust in God, friends. It frees you to move. It frees you to make decisions in life based off of and, and saturated in prayer and biblical principles. Trusting in God with whatever the outcome may be. You know, Naomi ultimately does not know if this plan will succeed or, or what might happen to, to her or Ruth. But either way, she knows that God is good and God is sovereign. And so she can move forward, trusting that God will tend to the outcome in the way that he sees best. Right? And that's, that's what we want more than anything. Even if, even if the decision that we, that we make that is saturated in prayer, that is based off of principles that we see within the Bible, even if those decisions don't go the way that we want, we can trust in God that he will bring about a good end. Because he is good. And his plan is far better than our own. And if you trust in the goodness of God, what's that? Well, well, I can talk to you afterwards about that for sure. Yeah. But if we do trust in the goodness of God, whatever, whatever may come to pass will ultimately be for our eternal benefit. That's the truth that we can hold on to. That's, a, that's the truth of the famous proverb in, in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Even if those paths aren't quite the ones we thought we were going to be taking. So this is the new heart commitment. This is the new heart commitment of Naomi. And so she relays her plan to Ruth in verses 2 through 4. And let's, let's read those again real quick. It says, Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, friends, those, uh, those same cynical and, and critical uh, scholars that I mentioned before would say that she was telling Ruth to kind of just get all dolled up in order to seduce Boaz. That's what they would say. That Naomi wanted, to, uh, wanted Ruth to kind of crank up her feminine wiles to 11 so that Boaz would be just completely smitten by her and that, that simply out of lust for Ruth, Boaz would just kind of agree to whatever she may say. Right? That's what the critical scholars would say. But again, this ignores the context of the book of Ruth. It completely throws it out the window. 
It completely subverts the character of Ruth that we have seen up to this point in the book. You know, we know now that Ruth is a woman of great character. The, the author of this book has gone to extreme lengths to show us the godly character of this amazing woman. And likewise with Naomi, now relying on the goodness of God after being broken free out of her bitterness and out of her probable depression, for her to come up with this, this seedy and, and sinful plot would really make no sense narratively or within the character of, of both of these women that we've come to learn so much about. So it does not make sense. And the much more likely reason for Naomi telling Ruth to get washed up and to anoint herself and to put on uh, nice clothes is the same reason why we uh, see David doing the same three things in 2 Samuel 12.20. He does the exact same things in 2 Samuel 12.20. And he did it to signify that the time of mourning his son was over. So do you see the, the connection there? Naomi is telling Ruth to get cleaned up and all of the rest in order to signal to Boaz that her time of mourning her husband is over and that she's now ready to marry. And this is far and away the most probable reason why Naomi tells Ruth to do this. It's the only thing that actually fits within the context of the story and the character of these women. Then... We, the readers, get to see Ruth display her stunning character yet again. We keep getting these amazing images of the character of Ruth again and again and again. But here we specifically get to see her courage in being willing to follow out Naomi's plan. Her courage. I mean, this could, this could go horribly, horribly wrong, right? This, this by our standards, is, is not a very good plan. It's not really that great of a plan. There's a real chance that Ruth and Naomi could have completely misunderstood Boaz's kindness to Ruth in, uh, in the fields. They could have just misinterpreted that. This bold plan could actually end in, in this intense scene of, of rejection followed by, by much public shaming, which would have uh, made the situation for these two widows even more difficult. They would have been these social pariahs. These, these women who are trying to manipulate Boaz by, by using Ruth's feminine charm to try to get him to, to take care of them or, or whatever. It could have gone horribly, horribly awry. And the possibility that, that Ruth would have been rejected, again, it's, it's, it's so high. I mean, just think of all of the realities that are stacked against her at this moment, right? Because Ruth isn't just, just a, a normal human being in the sense of, of being a, a part of Israel. She, she wasn't. She was a Moabite, right? She was a Moabite. And the Moabites do not have the best record when it comes to their relationship with the Israelites. In Numbers 25, you'll find that they were among those who seduced the Israelites and pulled them away from God and into idolatry. And while there was no outright laws against marrying a Moabite, it would have been maybe socially awkward at best, right? You know, we couple that with Ruth not having any other social status that would have been of any benefit to, to Boaz and that marrying her would actually come at a cost to Boaz because he wouldn't just be taking on Ruth, he'd also be taking on Naomi as well. And then you add in the fact that according to the law of God, Boaz did not have to act as the kinsman redeemer in this situation, which I'll explain again in a moment. But the stack of reasons for Ruth to be rejected by Boaz were monumental. Monumental. 
And despite all of this, Ruth tells Naomi in verse 5 that she would do everything that she said. That she would do everything that Naomi told her to do. And so the tensions are high as we move in to the next scene in verse 7. Now the threshing floor was a cleared area in which you would crush the grain to separate it from the chaff and the straw. And you would then kind of throw that giant heap up into the air and the chaff and straw would be blown away by the wind and the grain would fall to the ground and have this nice pile of grain that was all separated and, and ready to go. That's what the threshing floor was. And it wasn't uncommon to have someone sleep at the threshing floor as well to protect uh, the grain against would-be thieves. And in verse 7 we read, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now the term here, and his heart was merry, can simply mean full or satisfied. In some contexts it, it can mean drunk, but in others it can simply mean having that kind of content and, and satisfied feeling that you get after eating a good meal. Uh, like a, a really hearty meal, but not, not kind of like a Thanksgiving meal, though. So when you eat, the, when you eat Thanksgiving meals, are you like, you're, you think you're going to be satisfied, but you end up just being sad at the end because you got more of a bloated heart than a merry heart? <laughs> exactly. But Boaz is in a happy place, right? He's, he's content. He's, he's not drunk. That's not what the context of this is here. He's not, he's not drunk. He's just uh, very content and satisfied. Uh, and he goes and falls asleep next to the pile of grain. Then enters Ruth. And she kind of quietly makes her way to Boaz and uncovers his feet and lies down. Now, here again, we have the same problem as before. There are some scholars out there who are committed to seeing this part of the short story here in Ruth chapter 3 as some seedy and illicit sexual escapade. And they read the phrase, uncovering his feet as an innuendo. And to be fair, the word feet is used within Scripture as, as just that. It's, it's, it can be used as a sexual innuendo. But it is not required to read it as such. There are plenty of passages that do not use the word feet in that way, like Psalm 119, for instance. And again, we have to keep the context of the story in mind when we're reading this. Because if you're doing any kind of study on the book of Ruth, you will see that a lot. You will see these critical scholars come in and try to convince you that this is a, a, uh, a sexual tryst that, uh, that's going on right here. But we, we really have to think about the character of these people in this story. Is, is Ruth here simply wanting this, this one-night tryst with Boaz? Is that really what she wants? Would Naomi or Ruth think that a man of godly character like Boaz would be really more likely to care for them if Ruth were to offer herself to him in that manner? Is that, is that a, a real possibility? Is any of that consistent with who we have learned Ruth and Naomi to be and consistent with their faith in God? I don't believe so. I don't believe it makes any sense. And so the idea here is that Ruth uncovered the feet, the actual feet of Boaz, so that she herself would not have to commit or come into physical contact with him to wake him up, and that the breeze of the cool night air would just brush across his feet, and that would wake him. That's, that's the idea we get here. And in verse 8, it seems like that very thing happened, like that, her, that, that part of the plan worked. So, so far, so good. It reads, At midnight, the man was startled, 
and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. The other night, I actually woke up from a dream. I could have sworn somebody was standing over me. I don't know if you've ever had one of those kind of things before, but it, it, it scared me more than I think I've ever been scared in my life before. You can ask, uh, ask my wife. Uh, but it was simply a figment of my imagination, right? It was, it was this, this fragment of the dream that I was just having, and, and so all things considered, I calmed down rather quickly. But for Boaz, there actually was a person that was, that was there. And I imagine it probably scared him more than even I was scared the other night. He was probably terrified. And in this startled and most likely terrified state, he asked her in, in verse 9, which makes complete sense, who are you? Who, who are you? This woman at my feet, who are you? Now here's where Ruth kind of diverges from Naomi's plan just a little bit. Because remember, Naomi just tells her to just uncover his feet, wait for him to wake up, and then he'll take it from there. She doesn't need to say or do anything else. That's all she needed to do. But rather than doing that, I think out of, out of nerves or, or maybe just uh, maybe out of, out of a little bit of fear or whatever else it may have been, she kind of just blurts out everything that, uh, every, for the exact reason why she was there. She doesn't wait for him to do anything. She just kind of blah and just kind of just expresses why she's there. And she says in the rest of verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So she makes her intentions clear to Boaz. She does not want a, a one-night fling. She wants far more than what that could ever afford. She wants, she wants rest. She wants rest not just for herself, but she wants, she wants rest for Naomi. She wants redemption. That's what she's looking for. And essentially, she wants marriage. That's why she's there. And she appeals to Boaz as a redeemer. Now remember, a redeemer is a close male relative who can act on behalf of a family member who is in this great financial difficulty. That's what a redeemer was. But also remember that Ruth's specific situation, being a Moabite, is not necessarily covered in the Levitical law. Not only that, but as we learn in verse 12, there's a relative that is closer to Ruth and Naomi than, than even Boaz. And so it would be that man who would have the responsibility to act as that kinsman, that family redeemer, not, not Boaz. Not only that, but in seeking marriage, Ruth may have also been appealing to the Leverite law, which allowed a man to marry his deceased brother's wife in order to provide for her. But again, Boaz did not fit that description. Boaz was not Killian's, Ruth's deceased husband's brother. So all of that to say, what all of this means, is that Ruth has approached Boaz on the threshing floor, scared the, the living daylights out of him, and requested for him to fulfill a role that he had, hey, he had no responsibility, legally speaking, of fulfilling. A role that would place onto him a financial burden as he would not just be, again, taking on Ruth, but also Naomi. And a role that could bring him a social burden in marrying a Moabite woman rather than an Israelite woman. So, so what a proposal, right? So I can only imagine the, the pounding heart of Ruth. And she blurts all of this out, and then she, she kind of waits with bated breath for Boaz to say something. And though Boaz has all of the reasons in the world to reject Ruth, he says this in verses 10 and 11. 
He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So how beautiful is that? Rather than, rather than reject Ruth, to her great relief, Boaz actually accepts her proposal. But he doesn't simply accept it. He actually commends her for it. And he begins by saying, may the Lord bless you. And remember, this isn't a man who just throws out words willy-nilly. When he says, may the Lord bless you, he actually means, may the Lord God bless you. And then he tells her that this kindness is even greater than the first in that Ruth did not go after younger men, whether they be rich or poor. So what Boaz means by this is that the first kindness of Ruth was that, that loving kindness that he showed to Naomi and clinging to her as she traveled back from Moab to her home country, that, that kindness of clinging to Naomi. And this last kindness is even greater than that because Boaz is, is somewhat of an older gentleman. And we're not told exactly how old he is, but he is old enough for him to tell her that she, would, that, or that she could have gone after younger men. There were, there were clearly younger men that she could have gone after. But rather than do that, she pursued him. Now this is a great kindness that Ruth shows to Naomi in going after Boaz and not younger men. Because Ruth could have gone after a younger man who would have had, been, uh, had more likely been able to provide her with a child. Or may have been just simply more physically appealing than old Boaz. But if she had done that, if she had gone after another man, she would be leaving Naomi behind. Because Ruth would be marrying someone outside of the clan of Elimelech, outside of the family of Naomi's deceased husband, who would have absolutely no obligation or reason to care for Naomi. That's why this is a greater uh, showing of kindness. But again, rather than pursuing her own interests, Ruth pursues Boaz for that very specific reason, that he is a kinsman redeemer of the clan of Elimelech and would have the ability and most importantly, the, the, the character to care not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi. She knows that it wouldn't be her that would just be receiving this rest, but Naomi would be receiving it as well. And this is why Boaz says to her that this second kindness is greater than the first. He knew the risk that she was taking in coming to him that night, and he commends her for it. And it is because of the great character of Ruth, which is known all throughout the town, that Boaz agrees to do for her all that she asks. Now, an interesting note is that in the ordering of the Hebrew Old Testament, which has all the same books that, that, that we have in, in our Old Testament, just rearranged differently, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Proverbs actually comes right before the book of Ruth. Do you know that? It goes Proverbs, Ruth. We have Judges, Ruth. They have Proverbs, Ruth. And so the very last thing, the very last thing that you read about in the Hebrew Old Testament before you get to the book of Ruth is the story, uh, or sorry, is, the, is Proverbs 31. It's Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is about an oracle that King Lemuel's mother taught him about the kind of woman that he should avoid and the kind of woman that he should actually pursue. 
And the kind of woman that he should pursue, his mother told him, was a woman who feared the Lord. And at the very end, in verses 30 through 31, says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates, meaning the entrance to a city. So let her works, be, uh, works praise her in the city. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I absolutely do believe that Ruth is a love story. The book of Ruth is a love story. I do believe that Ruth and Boaz are, are truly falling in love as the events unfold. But what is so amazing here and what is so beautiful here is that I believe that we are to see the Proverbs 31 woman personified in Ruth, right? I believe that's the, that's the reason why it was, it was arranged that way, to have the Proverbs 31 woman prime us to read Ruth. And so I believe that, that Boaz's blossoming love for Ruth was, was not due to her charm. You know, as we see here in this passage, her request was not given in the most charming way. She just kind of blurts it all out. And I also believe it is not due to her outward beauty. Because of all the descriptions that we get of Ruth, none of them mention anything about any outstanding outward beauty of Ruth. We don't get any of that, Right? Rather, I believe that the love of Boaz, that the love that he has for Ruth and the love that Ruth has for Boaz is built upon a mutual admiration of godly character. Boaz was an older man. Ruth seemed to have no real charm or outward beauty worth mentioning. I don't, I don't think this was a Disney prince and princess kind of situation. But the living out of their faith and their trust in the Lord Almighty is what undergirded their budding relationship and in fact is what drew them to each other. And friends, when you're thinking about your marriages or, or when you're thinking about your future spouse, you need to ask yourself, what is my supreme value? What is my supreme value? And what is the supreme value of the woman or man I am pursuing? That needs to be the first question that comes to your mind. And I will say it bluntly, that if the answer to that question is anything other than the mutual love for and devotion to Christ Jesus, then you are or will be building your house on nothing but sand. And for those of you who are not in that season of life, of having or pursuing a spouse, the godly character of Boaz and Ruth are still worth aspiring to. Not only that, but friends, you are joined in one body, in the body of Christ, with those who are in that season of life. And as their brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the responsibility to do what we've been talking about at Redeemer Church for a while. You have the responsibility to disciple them, right? To remind them gently and lovingly of what should be the binding agent of their marriages, or what should be the primary attribute of the person they desire to marry? A fear of, a trust in, a love for, a devotion to Christ. Yeah. Right? That you have a responsibility to your brothers and sisters in Christ to point them in their marriages to Jesus. Right. Now looking back to our passage... 
As we mentioned before, Boaz says that there is a slight kind of hiccup to his plan. In verse 12, he says that it is true that, there, uh, that he is a redeemer, but that there is a closer relative who has the legal right to act on behalf of the redeemer before himself. But listen to what Boaz says in verse 13. He says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he, meaning the closer relative, will redeem you, good, you know, let, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, what's really cool here, just kind of a, a, quick, little, um, a quick little aside, Boaz is not willing to subvert the law of God simply to reach the ends that he desires. Did you notice that? He's not willing to subvert the law of God simply to reach the end that he desires, even if it's a good end. He recognizes that his obedience to the Lord comes before his desire for Ruth. He recognizes that a small sin to bring about a good result is not a godly moral principle to live by, right? And think about that next time you are tempted to tell a, a little white lie or do something some slightly dishonestly to get something that you desire, even if you're convinced that what you desire is a good thing or that's not really a big deal, right? And so Boaz, he promises to Ruth that he will speak to this other relative, but if the other man decides that he's not willing to redeem her, then Boaz certainly will. Ruth and Naomi will be redeemed regardless of the outcome of this conversation with this man. Their, their redemption is all but secured. Verse 14 then tells us, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And so they both kind of wake up and arise while it's still dark out, and Boaz prepares her uh, to send her back to Naomi. And they do it while it's still dark enough uh, to where it's difficult to see one another because uh, Boaz didn't want anybody else in the community to see her leaving the threshing floor where they were both uh, sleeping. Boaz is wanting to protect the reputation of Ruth. He does not want her good character to be unju uh, unjustly besmirched by anyone. But as she is about to leave, Boaz gives her a parting gift. In verse 15, Boaz says, Bring me the garment you're wearing. And it would be something akin to a robe or shawl or something like that. And hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So six measures of barley, by the way, would have weighed roughly 80 pounds. So I don't know how, how thankful for this gift she was when she got back home. <clears throat> but as you read verses 13 and 14 together, we were actually presented with a beautiful picture that, that actually parallels our own current Christian lives. Let me read them together again, and then I'll explain what I mean. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing or sorry, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring me the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. 
So friends, if you have put your faith in Jesus, in His work on the cross and in His resurrection, if, if you are a Christian, then you are now living in a period that could be described as the already not yet. The already not yet. You may have heard that before. The already not yet. The already comma not yet. Yeah. If you are a believer, then friends, you have been redeemed, right? You have been redeemed. You've been bought out of the slavery to sin. You've, you've been bought for the kingdom of heaven by the blood of Jesus that was spilt on the cross. That happened to you. That is the, the beautiful reality that you now live in. You are already redeemed by the grace of God. That's Ephesians 1.7, right? And in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And friends, what's so wonderful here is that nothing can change that or take that from you because you were redeemed. It's over with. It was something that happened to you. You were redeemed by Christ and you are now no longer your own. You were bought for a price and you now do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ Jesus. Full stop. Full stop. It's a wonderful, wonderful reality that, that we now live in. But at the same time, Though we have been redeemed, we also await for the full culmination of that redemption that will occur when Christ comes again, right? Then the reality that we know in part in this moment, the freedom from sin, the reconciliation with God Himself will be known in full. When Christ comes again, we will no longer struggle and toil in a world full of sin and sorrow. We will never again have these, have these in, internal battles in our minds and in our hearts that, that feel like they're going to rip us to shreds. We're, we're no longer going to wage war against doubt and fear. But we will be able to see fully and clearly the beaming ray of light that Job spoke of in Job 19.25. Do you know what he says in, in Job 19.25, what Job says, he says, We will know that our Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And friends, we will, we will know that even more than we know that now, because we will be standing there with Him, right? We will be standing there with Him, and we will be soaking in His mercy and His grace and His love forever. That is, the, that is the full picture of the redemption that, that we still await and that we just get the taste of now. We will repeat joyously Psalm 107, verses 1 through 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And I love verse 2. Let the redeemed say so. We're the redeemed. Let us say that. Let us say, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Redeemed, let's say so. Amen. Let the redeemed say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble. Man, this is the picture that Ruth 3 gives us here. Ruth is, is living in the reality that she has been redeemed. And it's only a matter of time until she experienced it come to fruition. Now the gift that Boaz gives to her 
I believe is actually meant to symbolize at least two things to her and to us, and possibly up to three things, but we only have time for one. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, but I do want to focus on what I believe to be the most obvious and the most important one. The gifting her of six measures and not seven of barley, six measures of barley, not seven measures of barley, could be to indicate to her that her redemption was not yet complete, kind of what we just talked about. The number seven being in the Jewish culture, the, the perfect number, the number of completion, and Boaz was giving her, giving her six measures, uh, was in order to show her that her redemption is, is not yet complete, but it would soon be. Uh, <clears throat> but whether or not that was intended in regard to the number, we can sometimes look a little bit too into numbers in the Bible if we're not careful. But whether or not that was the intended uh, purpose in regards to giving her six measures, I do believe what was certainly intended by the gift is that it was meant to be an assurance to Ruth. It was meant to be an assurance to Ruth. He gave her this gift as a sign, as a down payment for what was to come. That her redemption, one way or another, would be accomplished and he would see to it. And we just had a whole series on the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I won't go into too much detail on this, but I believe that this is meant to cast our own eyes as new covenant believers to the gift that Jesus gave to us to secure and to assure our own redemption. It is meant to cast our eyes on the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of new birth, the Holy Spirit came to take up residence in you, believer. To assure you of your status as a child of God, we're told. And to be the assurance of your salvation as the down payment, as the guarantee, as the seal of your redemption. Ephesians 1, 13-15, remember that, we spoke on that a few weeks ago. It says, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so as assuredly as Boaz was going to fully and completely redeem Ruth and Naomi, so too will the Holy Spirit see our salvation come to completion. That's the purpose of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the purposes of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sovereignty of God was over the whole of these widows' redemption story, right? That's one of the purposes or one of the things that we're meant to see in Ruth, that, that God was active in it all. Everything that happened to redeem Ruth and redeem Naomi was all done by the sovereign hand of God. That's what one of the things that we're meant to see. And so just as the sovereign hand of God was over the entirety of these widows' redemption story, story, so too is God's sovereign hand over the entirety of our own redemption stories. He is sovereign in our lives, and He is good and loving, and He will bring our salvation to completion. And the reason why we know that is we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Our redemption stories are just like of the people spoken of in the psalm that I just mentioned before, in Psalm 107. Verses 4 through 9 says, Some wandered in the desert wastes, sorry, some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way uh, to a city to dwell in. 
hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. So friends, how many, how many of us can identify just with, just with that line? Wandering through this world, at times feeling like there is no hope, maybe that there is no rest. We're, we're hungry and thirsty for something more than, than the things in this life have to offer us. And we have a, a sin-burdened soul that feels like it's fainting within us. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Oh, friends, this is, this is meant to be a picture of us too. That in our trouble, in our sin, in our distress, we can cry out to the Lord. And He is good and merciful and faithful to lead us on the straight path of Jesus by His Spirit that leads us straight to the city of God where we will find rest and peace. Then it says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, for He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Friends, our longing souls have been filled. If you are a believer in this room, your longing soul has been filled with the best thing of all. With the Holy Spirit Himself. With God Himself. Who is ever guiding us along the way. Which is, which is one of the titles that, that Jesus gives Himself in John 14, 6. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Until we reach our final home in the world to come. That is when our, our longing souls and our hungry souls will be merry and satisfied. Let us thank and rejoice in God for His steadfast love. Now, chapter 3 ends in much the same way that chapter 2 ends, with Ruth returning to Naomi with this bountiful gift from Boaz and, and reporting to Naomi what all took place. In verses 16 through 18, it says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So again, chapter 3 ends with this, this renewed hope of Naomi. This renewed hope in the Lord to, to do what is good, to, to do what is right in the situation. But friends, this already has been a two and a half hour long sermon. But there is so much more that I want to say about this passage. How we see that, that Ruth is willing to, to risk it all for the hope of redemption. And therefore, what are, what are we will, willing to risk in order to share the hope of redemption that we have to others? Right? Yes. Ruth saw the flawed and sinful Naomi as being of such worth and was willing to risk her own safety and reputation in order to see her redeemed. Amen. And Jesus, friends, is of infinitely more worth and value than even Naomi. And so are we willing to take risks in order to see his name magnified around us by proclaiming his gospel of redemption? Is that, amen, brother? 
Are we willing to take social and financial and personal risks to see others experience the same redemption that we have? Man, let, let that be so. We also see the links and the, the detailed intricacies that the Lord is willing to endure in order to see His beloved and wandering sheep, Naomi, come, come back to His fold. There's so much beauty and depth in this passage. And, and so as I bring this sermon to an end, I, I just encourage you to go home and dive into this chapter of Ruth and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your minds to the riches that lie within it. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much. God, that the entire story of history, God, is your story. Lord, and you proclaim in your word that you have written the beginning, the middle, and the end. Lord, there's nothing that catches you off guard. There's nothing that catches you by surprise. You are so sovereign and so good, Lord, that even when, when bad things happen to us, as your, as your children, as those who are in Christ, Lord, you work those things for our own good and for your glory. And we thank you for that. I'm so thankful for, Lord, your servants, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and the godly character that we can see in them and model our lives after. Lord, I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit takes these things that we talked about this morning, that we learned about this morning from your word and just emblazons them on our hearts. It's so easy to come to a service on Sunday morning and, and get excited and, uh, and, and get, uh, or just the, the spiritual juice is flowing, but then go out into the world and, God, just forget it all. But let that not be us. Lord, help us be disciples who go out and share this good news of redemption with those around us despite the cost. Lord, we love you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.